I'm Michael Kist of Bleeding Green Nation, and I invite you, gentle listener, to join us for the best analysis of the Super Bowl champion Philadelphia Eagles in the business. BGN Radio provides you with the most informative preview shows, and the Kist and Solak show dives deep into all the schemes and X and O details you could ever want. Plus discussions with the industry's brightest minds, including former NFL players, and press conferences from the Eagles coaching staff to keep you up to date and informed every step of the way. Subscribe to Bleeding Green Nation today. Fly, Eagles, fly. Hey everybody, how you doing? Well, that's good. Welcome to Ice Sport Radio. It's BSH Radio's Rest of the League show. We're going to break down some NHL stuff. We have some semi-breaking news, some stuff that happened today, and just some stories from throughout the last week. My name is Bill Matz. I'm your director of fun and games for the evening. Let's just get right into it, gang. Uh, we are without Steph again this week, but we do have the fly by herself, Kelly Hinkle. I don't know about you guys, but the most fun I had today was the approximately eight minutes that the entire hockey world was holding their breath because they thought the Penguins got William Nylander. Charlie and I Charlie and I were talking about that, I guess, before you got in here. My favorite thing maybe to happen so far this season is the collective hockey Twitter meltdown over everyone just saying it was Nylander to the Pens. That was yeah, and nobody knew great. anything, and everyone was like, oh, I can't fucking believe this. They get everybody. <laughs> Ron's doing nothing. Yeah. <laughs> And then it's uh, it turns out to be a guy with similar numbers to Nylander this year, but has 17 games played as a as compared to zero uh, in Tanner Pearson. We'll get that we'll get to that right at the top. But first, from theAthletic.com, Charlie O'Connor. Uh, you know what I'm enjoying, guys, about the uh, the current standings, the placement of the placement of one New Jersey Devils and dead last in the Metropolitan Division, where I feel like they rightfully belong. It's, it's oh, no, enjoyable. Charlie, they're actually good. They're actually good. Yeah, I, I guess I've just been screaming about them, like, having this belief that they're, there's no way this team is actually good, and watching them kind of suck has been nice. Especially, and also, I just hate the Devils. Like, oh, yeah. I, I hate, I don't like Pittsburgh because it's a rivalry, but it's mostly just, like, the back and forth between the fans that has built that up for me. The Devils, I will never forgive them for ruining hockey. So yep. it's just, for, for a 10-year period, they ruin the entertainment value of hockey, and I will always hate that franchise because of that. So watching them be bad is good. I enjoy it. Did you see last night the uh, the 2018 Florida Panthers emulating the 1996 Florida Panthers who were emulating the 1995 New Jersey Devils? That was absolutely outstanding, I thought. They Real sure good did. Real good 2-1 game there. Yeah, oh, it, was a, it was a fun one. <laughs> so let's get into this trade. But you'll see, starting on Thursday, the Devils' turnaround is coming, gang. Uh, let's get into this trade. So the Penguins send Carl Haglin to Los Angeles for Tanner Pearson. I guess LA just really needed a 30-year-old veteran presence for that for that youthful roster they have out there. Yeah, this the thing is like I I can understand I mean, I think it seems stupid, but I can understand the thought process that LA is just like, well, this one's fucking done. We can't do anything this year. Let's just start selling stuff. Which okay, cool. But like typically when you do that, you don't get old guys back because that's counterproductive. So I'm not sure if they think that Carl Hagelin is actually going to make their team better, but I don't know. Yeah, I get the impression that this is not a this is not a selling trade. This no. is a we're still trying to salvage the season because this to me just seems like a hockey trade. You've got two struggling guys, and it's a stylistic thing where you know Tanner Pearson's a little bit more of a you know more of a power type forward, and he's not, he's no Wayne Simmons or Milan Lucic, but he's 
definitely brings a little He's bit a more. He's a get to the net and wait for your yeah. center to make a play guy. Yeah, he brings a little bit more size and physicality to the table, whereas Carl Hagelin basically is just really fast. And if anybody has watched the Los Angeles Kings over the last three weeks, they are mind-numbingly slow. They are Yuri Laterra slow. And this is just getting a really fast guy that maybe can make the play a little bit faster and salvage the season. That's what I, I assume this trade is for. I mean, I get that. I just wonder, like, who on that team is going to be able to keep up with him. Like, I can't it's imagine really anybody would. It is <laughs> yeah, fun, no, though, a, a good one-for-one one trade, though. I like those. They never happen. No, I do I do enjoy a uh, the trade is one-for-one one commentary because whenever that comes out, you get all those references. But, um, yeah, it just seems the way the, – the best way I heard it put, and I can't remember who, who tweeted it, but I retweeted it, and it was Tanner Pearson got sent to to Pittsburgh for the third round pick that LA will get for Carl Haglin later on in the season. <laughs> Fair point. Like that's what it'll that's, that's pretty what funny. this will basically amount to. Uh just details here. Tanner Pearson, as I said earlier, no goals, one assist through seventeen games. Um yeah, Friedman in his in thirty one thoughts that came out like half an hour before this show started. Uh, Pearson without a goal in his last thirty regular season and playoff games combined. So really on a Whoa. roll he is. He is twenty six, signed for this year and two more at three point seventy five three point seven five million dollar cap hit. Uh, Pittsburgh's going to retain a quarter of a million of Haglund's salary, so they send basically the same salary back to L.A., but he is uh, UFA after this year, so they don't have a commitment beyond this year to Haglund. Uh, it's, it's a one-for-one one trade. It's just, like, my question here is what is the point? And it's, I guess, even though he's older, they want a guy who can skate a little. Is that just what it is? I you know what's it? Yeah, I oh, sorry, so. Trey, go ahead. Uh, yeah, no, I, I think so. I really think that's it. And I think the the Penguins just saw this as a way to get better. You know, they get better and younger. I, I like this trade for the Penguins. Yeah, Tanner Pearson hasn't scored much this year, but he's consistently about a 35 to 40 point guy. And I know they just wanted to shake the mix up a little bit there. I think they were feeling that things were getting a little stale in Pittsburgh. And this is a shake up trade where I think they got the better of the two players. And, and this is coming from someone who really likes Carl Hagelin. Carl Hagelin, you know, Bill, it's funny that you said – um, it's funny that you said, well, maybe LA is just going to ship him out for a third round pick when they're, you know, in the basement and just trying to get some assets and he's an expiring contract. Like, I'll be totally honest with you guys. We've made it now six minutes into the show, but I would like to see a speedy winger who can kill penalties well on the flyers as an ad of the trade deadline. That would be, that would be good for me. I oh, would like that. Charlie, but, um, skill players can't kill penalties. But he's not really a skill that. player. Like I, yeah, I he's like just fast. Yeah, I like Haglin a lot. He can't really finish, but he's a good penalty killer and he's extremely fast. And that was basically the selling point for people who wanted Michael Grabner in the offseason. He obviously signed with the uh, the Coyotes, but Haglin's sort of a similar type guy. He just doesn't finish as well, and he's maybe a bit better defensively. So yeah, I mean, if if the Kings are selling Haglin at the deadline, I would like to see Hextall get involved, assuming the Flyers are actually contending, which, you know, you never know with this team. But anyway, we'll go back to the NHL stuff. I just so, want to throw that Flyers thing in. Do the Penguins ever, like, friggin' lose a trade? Well, the Seems Ryan like Reese no. trade. Oh, that's true. That was, Yeah. Thank you, Charlie. Now I feel better about <laughs> That was a fun one. Yeah. <laughs> First round pick for Ryan Reese. What did get back for him from, uh, from Vegas? I don't remember... Oh God! What was the Vegas the second Ryan Reeves trade? Was it was that the Tatar, Thomas Tatar? No. no, was was that 
I'm trying to think though because they it was a weird trade, didn't they? Uh, was that the Broussard trade? Was it like a three team trade with Broussard? It and might have been. Was? And basically, Vegas got involved to make sure that uh, Winnipeg didn't get a three C. That's right. Yeah, I think that's right. Yeah, that's the one. So yeah, so they basically shipped out Ryan Reeves in the process of getting Derek Broussard, and Vegas just wanted to make sure Winnipeg didn't get better. That's interesting. Uh, Freaking Pittsburgh, man, just lose already. It would be fun. They're not. They haven't been good this year yet, but they're. I know. Uh, Oh no, they. I I I am very much of the belief that after Christmas they will be back on top of this uh, division and turn it around. Did you guys? Maybe they are. Maybe they are finally just folding up and making all sorts of bad moves. Like, oh yeah, let's go trade for a guy who has no goals and. Let's give Jack Johnson all these con- all all this term. Like maybe maybe their time is over. Did you see it Crosby might have a uh, another concussion? Oh, that's oh a, yikes! That's, really? That is a big bummer. I mean, well, they're calling it an upper body injury, but no one specified what it is. But everyone's worried that he's got another concussion, which, quite frankly, would be a huge bummer. He hasn't had one for a while, has he? It's been a while. Uh, yeah, it's been a couple of years, I think. I mean, not that it's good, but I just don't remember. It is certainly a, a quite a few years away from that stretch where he was getting a concussion every year, and it was oh, getting yeah. really concerning. Yeah, definitely. All right, so that's that trade. That's the Pittsburgh Penguins. Let us never talk of them again. Uh, <laughs> something that I just find to be absolutely freaking disgraceful. Gary Bettman got into the Hockey Hall of Fame this week. First of all, what other sport has their Hall of Fame induction, like, up against games? Ugh. <sighs> Yeah, it's it weird. has to be only the NHL would do this. It makes no like, sense. Maybe at all. they're trying to hide it because it's Gary Bettman, and even they're embarrassed by that. But I mean, come on, man. The NHL does their stuff, and they just don't give a crap about marketing. I mean, that's what it boils really what it boils down to is they've never either they don't give a crap about marketing or they're just unbelievably incompetent at it. And I really do think it's the first. I think it's the former in that they've done it this way for so long that they're not willing to change things to make it better to sell. And the marketing people who whose job it is to sell these things probably spend most of their lives banging their heads against the wall being like, why won't these hockey men change this thing? It's so logical to, you know, have the Hockey Hall of Fame induction, you know, as like a preseason game the same way the NFL does it. But the hockey men are like, nope, I've always done it in November. It's got to be in November. I can, I can actually see them... Like, not carry, like, thinking that this is just their event for them, and it doesn't yeah. matter that fans can't watch it or care about it. Agreed. Agreed, yeah. Kelly. And uh, it's just like, I don't, like, yeah, do it in a preseason game and make it an event. Do it the eve of the season. Do it over All Star weekend because that's a waste of time anyway. Like, do literally anything, but oh, yeah, just on this random day and all these players you loved growing up with, uh, they're being honored for their accomplishments and uh, you ain't going to see it. <laughs> like, I, like I, I just I don't understand anything that this league does, including letting uh, Bettman into the Hall of Fame. And, you know, there are things that Bettman has done very well. Uh, I mean, they're laid out in this article I want to get to eventually, the, uh, the another superstar roundtable from uh, from ESPN. And it's, it's about the CBA and things that will be sticking points. And, uh, like, listen, they are the first professional sports team in Vegas, and that is a big deal. Uh, they did finally, you know, go head first into gambling, and that is good from a from a from a league, uh, you know, revenue standpoint. Um, 
you know, scoring is trending up. Current rate of 3.09 goals per game is the highest since 95-96 when those uh, shitty Florida Panthers trapped their way to a Stanley Cup final. Uh, they do have a bunch of superstars who do seem like maybe they have some personality in Taylor Hall and Austin Matthews and Nathan McKinnon, unlike Mayo boy Sidney Crosby. <laughs> and the salary cap had its biggest year-over-year -year increase in four years. Le league revenues are nearly $5 billion. When Bettman took over 25 years ago, $400 million. It's like some things are good. But then when you talk about what's going to happen when they start negotiating this next collective bargaining agreement, Bettman appeared on Elliot Friedman's 31 Thoughts podcast, and they asked him, how would you like to negotiate one of these without a work stoppage? Bettman, it's beyond my control. If you have an agreement and can, and can ensure that every season you start, you're going to complete, then you don't have a work stoppage. But if, for whatever reason, you can't make a deal and you have no assurance that you complete a season that you start, you have to consider all of your options. Nobody wants a work stoppage, but it takes two to tango. Yes, management initiates a lockout, but that means there's no CBA and that a union can strike at any time. You can't do that, particularly when people invest emotionally and financially in a season. So while I won't preordain or anything and will bargain in good faith as we are legally obligated and morally obligated to do, this is a joint deal. And if we have labor unrest, it is as much on the Players Association as it is on us. So basically, two, three years ahead of time, he's already blaming the players for this lockout that he's going to have. I, for one, am shocked at this turn of events. Yeah, this is I just it's just it's such a legal he's such a lawyer. Like he's yes. such a freaking lawyer because the way he words this answer, it's so legalese. And basically what he's saying, like the point of the question, I'm sure, is basically that look, dude, you you're the commissioner when there when there isn't hockey, you're gonna get blamed because you're the freaking commissioner of the league. And his point is that, well, technically, even though we lock out the players, it's not really our fault. Because if we didn't lock them out, yeah, we could play without a CBA, but the players would probably strike midway through the year, so then it would be on them. So really, the fact that it, he, he, like, he's caught up on this idea that the only reason why Bettman gets blamed for, for work savages is because it's called a lockout and not a strike. And it's like, dude, yep. that's not why. The reason why you get blamed for work stoppages is because there are work stoppages. Fans don't really give a shit whether it's a strike or a lockout. Either way, they're blaming the commissioner of the league because it's literally, like, the one key function of the commissioner of a league is to make sure the league plays games. Yep. And if the league doesn't play games, whether it's a lockout or a strike, that's a failure on the part of the commissioner. And most people who pay attention, like fans like you, like the three of us, who are like hardcore fans who follow the game closely, uh, you know, I go back and look at a the contract extension the Flyers gave Keith Primo like almost 20 years ago and look at the contract extension that Sean Couturier signed a year ago and I'm like, oh, wow, nothing has changed. It's the exact yep. same contract. <laughs> the players in hockey get fucked harder than any other sport. Like, and you talk and... That's what I wanted to get to in this ESPN roundtable is things like what the players are really concerned about going into this negotiation, into this next CBA. And they said escrow, which we'll get into, and Olympic participation, which is two things that, uh, like, two things that the players are really revved up about. But 
the reason Bettman gets blamed... Alright, 94-95, that work stoppage. Bettman was brought in to put in a salary cap. That's what he was brought in to do. He was part of it in the NBA, and they wanted it. They didn't get it. He lost. So in 04-05, he was hell-bent on saying, we just won't play. Like, he was... He would have lost a second season to get a salary cap. They were getting the salary cap. All right, those are big deals. A salary cap versus teams can spend whatever the hell they want are big deals. What changed in 2012-13? Like, Nothing. okay, we got contracts. You can you you can have a 7-year max for free agents, 8 years for extending your own guy. That can be negotiated like without a freaking half season wasted. Like players S or players uh revenue share went from like 54 to 50. Like that can be negotiated without throwing away half a season. That's why you get blamed when you say we're going to go negotiate in good faith. No you won't cuz you didn't last time. This is the only tool in the commissioner and owner's toolbox. Yep. And I also feel like that I mean, obviously, none of us are in the room, but I feel like the way that that Bettman and the rest of them go into these negotiations is this is what we're offering you. If you don't give us this, we're locking you out and you're not going to play this season. And at the end of the day, the NHLPA, I think, should do a better job on behalf of their players. But that's an organization made up of hockey players representing a bunch of hockey players. And all those dorks want to do is play hockey. That's why these things end. And they end up giving in to what the league wants, and these owners make money hand over fist, and they're not paying these guys enough. And it it is 100% the league's fault. It's not the players. Yeah, I I think a big part of this, too, is— And, and again, this is why Bettman is so beloved by the owners and why they will probably never fire him because he basically does exactly what they want them to do. But what it boils down to is that, like— it comes down to what you think is good about a negotiator. The owners love Bettman because he's just he's willing to just take a ridiculous hard line and basically not give on it, and he eventually gets pretty much everything the owners wanted. You know, maybe he caves on a little thing, a little things, but on the whole, he gets what the owners wanted. Whereas if you're looking at a negotiator being, hey, the real point here is to make sure we play as much hockey as possible and maximize the revenue that we're making on the fans and keeping excitement high, then he's a terrible negotiator because every time he goes into negotiation, he only has one tactic, which is take the hard line and basically wait for the players to give up. And I guess the owners love that, but everybody else involved thinks it's awful because we only really care about watching the sport that we like. Yeah, it's crazy that like fans of a sport want to see that sport. I know it's, it's <laughs> it is wild. And, and, it's and, unbe- yeah, and you know what? Like I get that Gary Bettman, basically every commissioner of a sport, as long as he, because it's always a he. Maybe someday in the future there will be a woman commissioner in one of the major sports. But <laughs> we're pretty far from that point. Nah, no, that's not gonna happen. Um, <laughs> commissioners pretty much always get in the Hall of Fame unless they left in disgrace for some reason. So I get it, and he he's done things. He's definitely exported the game to regions of the country that were not familiar with it in the past, and some of them have worked, some of them haven't, but enough of them have worked that you can say 
it was a net win probably for the league that you know Tampa Bay has gotten into hockey, that Nashville has gotten into hockey, that Vegas has gotten into hockey, that Dallas has gotten into hockey. He's done things that are good in terms of growing the game. So yeah, he deserves to be in the Hall of Fame eventually. But the idea of putting him in while he's still commissioner is utterly ridiculous. Yeah, putting him in now is like my biggest issue. And like when we're in this next lockout, that's absolutely going to happen. It's going to be like I remember when Lil Wayne won a Grammy, and he was like, "From for the rest of my life, when it's like Lil Wayne ODs, it's going to be Grammy award winning artist Lil Wayne ODs on ketamine." So it's like when we're in this next lockout, it's going to be Hall of Fame Commissioner Gary Bettman the whole time. Oh God! It's just a freaking joke. Yeah, I think um, we talked about this a little bit when he when it was yeah. determined that he was nominated, that there's so many bad things going on that center around him specifically that it seems incredibly odd that they decided it had to be now that he goes and in. And the fact, like, the fact that the league financially is in good shape, like I said, $5 billion in revenue last year. Of uh, In a couple of years, they're going to get that big $650 million check from Seattle. Like, expansion is a thing. We're going to get that. Um, uh, there's good stuff going on. And then you look at the sport and you go, it's a goddamn niche sport. Like, why? It's like the fact that they haven't been able to grow it, given all the positives that have happened. It just doesn't make any sense. Yeah, that's yeah, the thing. Go ahead, Kelly. I was just going to say, like, the whole revenue growth thing. I just have a hard time saying that that's you can directly tie that to anything that Gary Bettman has done. Oh, yeah, no, just TV contracts yeah, have that. exploded. They they went into Vegas. Like, there's just so many reasons for revenue to go up. But then, of course, as they're touting this $5 billion in revenue, in a year or two, they're going to be crying broke and trying to take even <laughs> more from the players. And that's their big thing in this in this roundtable that I'm finally getting to. We, maybe we've touched on this before, but the players are like, hey, man, I know you can go on cap-friendly and look at what our cap hit is, but that seriously is just for, like, construct roster construction purposes. This is what's allocated to this guy. Like, it's just a value assigned to him for roster construction purposes. They're having 10 to 20% of their paychecks withheld every two weeks. And then at the end of the year, if the, Ross, if the, if the revenue is 50-50, or, they'll get some of that back. If not, the owners pocket that shit. Like, oh, yeah, you know, you actually ended up making 52% of the revenue, so we're keeping 2% of everyone's paycheck in this already negotiated contract. Like, I don't think everyone knows that stuff. And, of course, the players want to go to the Olympics, and uh, the league is probably going to say, you have to do the World Cup in order for us to okay the Olympics, something like that. Because the World Cup is going to happen much like it did in uh, in '04. Uh, like they'll do the World Cup and then immediately go to a lockout, like they did in '04. Well, I just don't. I just don't think that they. Uh, I, I just my view of the Olympics is that this whole thing, and, and this is this is how Machiavelli and I believe Gary Bettman and the owners are. I view that I think this whole Olympics thing was drummed up by them basically to give themselves a negotiating tool for yep. the, for this next this next CBA. I don't think they really care that much about the nope. Olympics, but by taking it away from the players, it gave them something to hold over their heads in the next negotiation. That Charlie, yeah. I couldn't I couldn't possibly agree with that more. That is exactly why they did it because when you're taught what are the two things that matter to the players? Escrow and the Olympics. 
Well, you know, if you leave the revenue split at 50-50, we'll give you the Olympics so the fucking owners don't lose any money. Yes, they have to stop their season, but it's not like they play less games. They still play 82 games. The season continues. There's just a two-week break. And then they get the they get the ticket money. They get everything the same going into the playoffs. It is just simply a negotiating tool. Let's move on to the Washington Capitals now, our defending Stanley Cup champions, because some stuff happened happened this week, gang. Uh, One of our favorite topics, Tom Wilson, came up. He had his suspension reduced by the independent arbitrator, uh, Shyam Daz, who is, you know, known for just reducing suspensions in both both baseball and now hockey. Uh, He reduced it to 14 games. Of course... The Capitals have already played 16 games, so he actually gets a refund of, let's see... 378000 in change in salary returned to him uh, because he's already served two extra games of the suspension, so he's going to get paid for, for the two games uh, that he didn't get to play in. But this, uh, after the after it was handed down by George Paros, after Gary Bettman upheld it and said, you're a joke, uh, we are absolutely upholding this, what happened, the thing that we all said was the main uh, drawback to the suspension, no precedent, and they seemed to pull the 20-game number out of their ass. That's exactly what the uh, NHLPA argued, and that's exactly what we got. It's still a big deal. 14 games is still a big suspension, but it's a pretty big reduction from 20. I don't understand why this arbitrator... Like, do they have to... Dis- is that like a mutual agreement or does the league hire him or how, I don't know how that works, but I don't understand how he keeps a job because isn't this why he got fired from, what was he, baseball? Yeah. Yeah. He, he, uh, he, I guess totally canceled the, um, the Ryan Braun one. Ryan Braun suspension and it like, because there was a bunch of bullshit and then it turned out like, oh yeah, Ryan Braun's on a ton of steroids. (laughs) Yeah. Then he got nailed again. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's just, I don't know. It's just, a, it's a CBA thing. They can go to this guy. I guess they hired him. And much like Bettman, they just decided, oh, he worked in another sport. Let's bring him in here. <laughs> uh, like, I, I don't know. It, it's, but of course, Tom Wilson. So he plays last night, scores a goal and lays the goalie out after the puck crosses the line. So the goal still counts, but he is called for goaltender interference. It sits in the box. He later had a fight in this game. This guy is great. And I hope he spent that money. Like, when he got that, I hope he spent it on, like, boxing lessons. He is not going to change the way he plays a little bit. No, he isn't. And so I hope he enjoys the next 20-game suspension that he's going to earn probably in, like, two weeks. And that's something that I think has to come up at a certain point. Like, I get it. Like, I, I thought the suspension should have been upheld. But I said the problem with it is this 20-game, whatever math they used to come to 20 games just didn't hold up. And that was the NHLPA's whole argument was, how'd you get to 20? And... I mean, every suspension is an arbitrary number. It's not like there's like a, a list somewhere where it's like, if you hit someone in the head, it's seven games. If you do this, it's eight games. It's all made-up bullshit. They looked at this and decided that it was egregious enough, and also he's big enough of an asshole, that they needed a giant number to make a point. So they went with 20. But they're I mean, all there arbitrary. Is, there is a degree of precedent. You know, they, they definitely do, I think, look at comparables, and then there's certain, you know, multipliers if a guy is a, a repeat offender and things like that. So there is a degree of structure. Um, but I do, I, 
I just think with this guy, I, I, I've kind of gone back and forth on this, and I almost wish I, I know I know this would have to be collectively bargained, um, and the players probably wouldn't go for it, but I wish there was a way for like if a player is consistently involved in borderline hits that get reviewed but don't actually end up getting a suspension but like were worthwhile enough to give them pause on whether maybe it deserved a suspension like if a player keeps racking them up that it sort of accumulates and and gets added to the idea of like okay well when he eventually gets suspended he should get more than usual because this wasn't a one-time thing yeah like, I- it, like, like like if like if oscar limblom has a dirty hit like i'm cool with him you can say well maybe it was just a mistake it was just a one-time thing but like we're going to talk about in a second evgeny malkin evgeny malkin has gone to the to the line but just not quite went over it about 20 times in his career and the fact that every time he does something borderline the response to the nhl is like well he's never been suspended so we can't take that into account it's like yeah but like all the shit he does every single time you should take that into account the fact that he's the the dirtiest, not quite suspendable player in NHL history. At some point, all those little things should turn into an actual suspension. And it's the same with Wilson. Wilson has been reviewed so many times for shit that, yeah, 20 might have been a little bit too much considering what he actually was suspended for. But when you account for the six other things over the last calendar year that they almost suspended him for, maybe it was deserved. Yeah, that, Charlie, the fu- I don't know why that oh, doesn't ahead, count Kelly. towards... I just don't understand... Like, to add to Charlie's point, like, if you're looking at a player's history, why that wouldn't factor in. It's just logically that would factor one of the, in. One of the funniest things, maybe the funniest thing that I read uh, in the, like, during this whole appeal process, one of the PA's arguments about Wilson's, uh, about Wilson's history and how he's a habitual line stepper, they're like, well, actually, he's not a constant egregious guy because if it was egregious... All his suspensions would have been agreed upon unanimously, but since the 200 hockey men have hotly debated every single one of them, and some of them had said, no, actually, he's a clean player who just hits hard, it's actually, he's not that bad. It was some of the fun. I'm like, so because he has constant borderline nonsense, but some of it is deemed not as bad as the others, like, oh, yeah, I mean, he's got five suspensions, but... 20 times it's been like oh no not not bad at all you're good to go there tom he's not as bad as you think like i was absolutely freaking dying reading that because it's the most hockey shit ever it sure is and it's extremely dumb let's let's talk about that tj oshi evgeny malkin play because yes evgeny malkin is that like if he played for another team, if he was anything other than a superstar, he'd constantly be suspended. Like that, or you hear it all the time. And if you watch Malkin enough, you see him do some pretty borderline stuff. But he is an awesome player, and the NHL just doesn't want to suspend stars, uh, especially when they play for Sidney Crosby's team. But I gotta tell you, like, because I saw it slowed down uh, right away. I saw it, and I was like, "Ooh, that looked like an elbow to the head." And then they slow it down, and it's bad. Uh, Malkin brings the puck in on a power play over the blue line and kind of hands off to his point man. And as TJ Oshie's approaching him, he it looks like he just shoots his arm up and el- elbows him in the head. And it looked really bad. But I loved TJ Oshie's explanation. It's one of the best I've ever heard. Uh, basically defending Malkin after it happened, after the game. Now, Malkin gets kicked out, gets the match penalty, and he ends up not getting suspended. And I think it's in part due to this Oshie explanation where he said, 
My read on the play was to go around uh, Malkin and try to challenge the puck. It's a penalty kill. Malkin's read on the play was he's coming in to hit me. I don't normally hit people on the penalty kill. It's just not something you do in that situation. So Malkin braces for the hit, lowers his shoulder, and goes to try to like basically do that Peter Forsberg fight off the hit move while uh, Oshie is kind of leaning to get around him. And you just have an unfortunate play unfold. And Oshie goes on to say, I did that two times tonight where guys were coming in to hit me, so I just tried to give him the shoulder back. And I absolutely loved it. Um, yes, Malkin, borderline player, and it's one of those things when you only see the gif, you go, oh, yeah, elbow to the head, of course. But when you actually see it unfold, not really a dirty play. I'm fine with the, I'm fine with the call on the ice, and I'm glad there was no supplemental discipline, because at the end of the day, it looks like a hockey play. Yeah, it probably was, but also, uh... I don't like Evgeny Malkin, so... Me neither. Yeah. Trust me. It's just, I... Also, T.J. Oshie is like an abused housewife with Tom Wilson in the locker room. He can't say anything about dirty hits, so he'll, he'll get in trouble. But That's true. He does live in a <laughs> yeah. glass house. Yeah, right. But Yeah, like, my point with Malkin is just that if you're consistently doing this shit and you're consistently doing things that make people say, hey, maybe that's suspendable, even if you're not actually crossing that line— you're doing something wrong because you shouldn't continuously be be going to that line. I'm sorry. Like, I get that there's a there, it's kind of it gets hockey men like this idea. Of, well, you got to play to the line, and I get it to a degree. But if if once every two or three months you're inciting a debate online whether what you did is dirty or not, I'm gonna let you know on a little secret. You're dirty. Yep. And that's the way oh. I view Evgeny Malkin. Oh, absolutely. I don't disagree with that point at all. I was just more, um, this play in a vacuum and the fact that TJ Oshie gave a good explanation afterwards for what his read on the play was and for, as a hockey player, what he thinks happened. Like, I very much appreciated that. And it makes me really appreciate TJ Oshie because I think the, you know, after the contract, he has a down scoring year. I really think this guy is still kind of underrated because... Everyone judges him only on his goal output, and when he has, you know, a 30-goal season, everyone, oh, he shot 25%, that's not going to happen. Like, and when you look at, like, maybe he's not a first-line superstar, but he is a damn good player for a damn good team, and I just really appreciate watching that guy play hockey. And since he joined, since he arrived in Washington, because I was just looking up numbers on what TJ Oshie is and isn't, 86 goals, 31st in the league since that time, 168 points, 66th. So he's like a pretty damn good second-line player. Yeah, oh, she's fine. I mean, he's fine. And the problem is is that he's signed until, like, the end of the world. So yeah. by the end of his contract, he's probably going to suck. But, yeah, he's a good player, and he's a player, you know, I think pretty much everybody would, would like to have on their team at, for a year or two without a doubt. I would I would give him that contract tomorrow. Are you crazy? It's worth it. What are you going to do at the end of that thing? I don't know. Count <laughs> my rings? <laughs> yeah, but he's not a guy who's going to win you a cup. Like, he's a good piece. If he's your fourth or fifth best forward, then you can win a cup. 
if he's your first or second best four, you're, you're going to have terrible. a bad time. Yeah. But he's not being paid. Like, he's being paid under $6 million. Like, that's not – like, that is fourth or fifth piece. That's what he's being paid to be. And since we're talking about what he's done since he's been in Washington, he's averaged over a minute of penalty kill time per game. And the Caps' penalty kill is sixth in the league in that span. I, I, he only has the one shorthanded goal, which surprised me just because he's he's a guy who can skate and he's a guy who can score on breakaways. I thought he'd have more. Uh, but overall, like he's a good player. And as a team that can't kill a penalty that can't kill a penalty as a Flyers fan, I would love a TJ Oshie playing on my second line and manning up a penalty kill. Bill, That's just me though. Bill, I'm just gonna throw this out there. If TJ Oshie was on the Flyers, he would immediately become bad at penalty killing. Boom. <laughs> I yeah I if we had Oshie and Michael Grabner our still penalty be bad. kill would be better. No, I think just, still it would be just bad. be better. I, I mean, it might be better as in twenty fourth rather than thirtieth. <laughs> it would still be bad. Oh would, god, this team would be in first place <laughs> if they had the twenty fourth ranked penalty kill. It's uh... true. All right, uh, what do we want to do next? Do we want to do Kelly's thing from the Athletic? The uh, the teams who were. Gonna die. I write for them. Hey, I've heard of them. I've never heard of that website before. I just thought it was interesting, particularly because I can't wrap my head around how the Montreal Canadiens are doing well. Doesn't make any sense to me. It is a bit of a surprise, no? I mean, Charlie, are they actually good? They're not good, right? Um, I don't think they're bad. I guess like a couple, and and they're—I don't think they're great, but I think they're going to be in the in the running. What's interesting to me about them is that they're doing this well. Despite the without fact Carey that, Price, yeah, the Carey yeah. Price is not doing that good. Like, they kind of remind me of the Devils last year, where I thought to myself, when the Devils were on their run, you know, man, if, if the Devils were going to do well last year, I thought it was going to be because Corey Snyder had a bounce back year, and he didn't, and they still were way better than I thought. And the the Canadians seem like it's kind of the same thing, but like they basically they're kind of being carried by two guys who um who are more or less castoffs like Thomas Tatar has 15 points in 18 games and Vegas just like he just didn't fit with Vegas they gave up all those picks for him he just didn't fit and then they shipped him out and then Max Domi who it seemed like uh the Coyotes were trying to get rid of actively and he's got 22 points in 18 games so they I don't know they've kind of re remade themselves as like an island of misfit toys type of team I don't know I guess that's what they're you the do new when you Vegas. Trade away all your good players. They're the new Vegas. They're cast off Central. Shea Weber <laughs> is going to come back and be a Norris candidate again. I'm telling oh, you. Oh dear God. Shea Weber is the key. Uh, yeah, I, I guess they're like this. This article on the Athletic, it was pretty good. It was just basically which early season success story uh, is going to fall off the face of the earth, and the Canadians are kind of everyone's looking at them, going, "There's no way they're this good." Um, the Islanders, another candidate. But I got to tell you about those Islanders. Um, I, yes, they, I, we talked about this just last week. Yes, they lost to Varus, but it's not like they don't have other good players. Now, like, next year could be the year they suck when they lose guys like Eberly and I think Lee are going to be free agents. But uh, one thing I like about the Islanders, maybe they're not going to be in the playoffs, but they're going to be a little better than people believe. This goalie tandem, I think it might be the perfect tandem because it's two actual tandem goalies. Uh, they have eight starts and nine starts between them. Robin Lehner, nine, nine starts, 921 save percentage, 2.59 goals against. Thomas Grice, eight starts, 938 save percentage, 1.98 goals against. 
and it led me to this story about Robin Lehner that I guess I just missed. Um, like he is, he's an AA and he just had his first sober road trip. And it was all about like staying sober when you're out, you know, you have your support system when you're, when you're at home and you're, you're playing with your home team and your family's around and you have your sponsor and all that. But when you go out on the road, all of a sudden, you know, the boys are bonding and they're getting, they're getting tanked on their off night. What do you do? And it was a very, it was another very interesting story uh, that I found on The Athletic. And if you have the time to read it, and if you're a subscriber, I very much, uh, I very much recommend it because I just, I guess I just missed this. He came out as an alcoholic like six weeks ago or something. And it's just a very interesting story. Yeah, I'm I'm actually really, really here for the Robin Lehner redemption arc. Um, he seems like a good dude, and I I don't know, I like the idea of, of him doing well on the island, and I like the idea of the Islanders not being a terrible team, so this all works for me. Um, yeah, I, I'm still not sold. Like, their underlying numbers suck. Oh, and yeah. I guess with, with the goalies, yeah, I, you know, a team can – be great with great goaltending even if it's bad everywhere else that's the brilliance and awfulness of goaltending like it literally could turn you around because the goalie is the game of hockey is is goal generation and goal suppression and goal generation is a team is a team game goal suppression while it's also a team game to a degree one guy on the ice can basically save you on a given night. And if he does that for 60 games, your team is probably winning a lot of games that year because he just played out of his mind. I don't think either of these guys, Laner and Grice are actually that good. Laner, I'm, I'm more open to the possibility of him being better than I think, because maybe he's just, you know, got his life together now and he's always had this ability. Now he just can do it on a nightly basis because he's, he's sober and he's, he's really figured things out, you know, in terms of his, his mentality going into games, just his mentality on off days too. So I'm more willing to accept that as a possibility, but I just don't think either of these guys are that good. So it's much more plausible to me that they're just not going to play as well as the year is on and the Islanders are going to fall back to what we expected them to be. Charlie's just anti-Cinderella story more than anything. He really is. Because they defy logic. They defy fun. logic yeah. and numbers. And he just refuses to believe in anything that isn't that isn't quantifiable. Uh, I understand. It's, you know, the uh, like I always say about stats. Yeah. You stat, you stat people would do a lot better if you just started referring to them as facts. Because <laughs> that's what a stat is. Uh, you can read into it all you want. Oh well, they didn't. Yes, they you know they won the Corsi battle, but they weren't high danger chances. I didn't say anything about high danger chances. I just said that they generated sixty percent of the total shots taken in the game. You can read into that what you will, but the fact is that's what it is. That's yes. my thing on stats for a second. Thank you, William. Um, I wish we had Steph because I want to talk about this Jacob Chikrin uh, contract extension now. Six years, four point six million. He hasn't come back from his uh, from his knee injury yet, but he's preparing to. Or is he back? I think he's about to come back. Um, I don't. Six years, four point six million. Why sign a six year deal before you've really come close to showing your potential? He's got two years in the league and hasn't played a full season. Is it just hey, I'm injury prone. Let me get some. Uh, yeah. Let me get. Let me get some guaranteed money here. He'll only be twenty seven. Uh, when the contract expires, so he'll be in line for another big deal if uh, if he plays well in the duration of this one. I just don't really understand the selling out your prime thing. 
Well, I I'm was going to ask, I don't understand why Arizona would sign a guy who is incredibly injury-prone, and like you've always said, you can't make the club in the tub. Um, I don't know why you would want to lock him down for so long when there's a, a pretty good chance that he could be hurt all the time because he's hurt all the time. Yeah, I'm, I fall more on the side of uh, of Kelly because like I, I get where you're coming from, Bill, in that you know, Chikrin is a guy who has, is, is perceived to have a lot of potential, was a first-round pick, hit the NHL really early. Um, obviously, his dad was a you know former player, so he's got good bloodlines and stuff. But I don't know if he's—he has the injury issues, and I'm also not sure if there's anything in his statistical profile that really stands out to me as, holy shit, I need to lock this guy up now. Like he had 20 points in 68 games his first year, 14 points in 50 games his second year, obviously had the injuries— it doesn't seem like he's going to score a lot. He hasn't really shown that he can drive play to a crazy good degree. Granted, it's been in, in toughish minutes, which should be taken into account considering how young he is. But you're basically, if you're Arizona, you're betting on his upside. So you're betting on upside he hasn't shown yet, in addition to betting that he's not going to keep getting hurt, which he has done so far. For me, if I'm Chikrin, oh, I'm, I'm signing this deal every Oh, God, time. all day. Because as you said— if it does work out for Arizona and he does become a really good defenseman, his contract expires. He's 27 years old, so he's going to get another big payday, another five, six-year deal if he's actually really good from age 27 to age 32, and he'll probably make bank then. And there's a higher risk value for him because he hasn't really shown he's that good yet, and he's also gotten injured a lot. So, yeah, if I'm Chickering, I'm rushing to sign this deal. I, get, like, I just feel like there's more money out there for him. Like, he could— I realize it's potential-based, but just one or two good seasons, and he could get not double, but over five on a cap hit. I don't know. Like The, fact, just... that, the fact that Noah Hannafin—like, what did Noah Hannafin get? You said it put him below Noah Hannafin, but they got to be pretty close, right? What did Noah Hannafin get, like, five? Like, five mil a year or something like that? Something like that. Let me take a quick look, because he's, uh, he's with Calgary now. He got a— um... So he got $4.95 million a year over six years. Like— Noah oh, Hannafin really? has done a lot, more than more, a lot more in the NHL than Jacob Chikrin. Yeah, he's a guaranteed same, property, for sure. Yeah, like the fact that they got very comparable contracts is kind of crazy to me because, you know, Hannafin hasn't had injury problems. Hannafin drove play very well last year. Hannafin scored pretty well last year. It's – they – Arizona clearly is very, very high on, on Jacob Chikrin. And you know what? To their credit – if Jacob Chikrin breaks out, they've got themselves a bargain, and that's the that's the upside of the deal. So I I get to a degree why they gave it to him. I just feel like for Chikrin, there, there's a lot of downside with this deal for Arizona. They could end up with a guy who's just Luke Shen. I mean, he's better than Luke Shen. Though. Maybe, probably. We don't he's know. definitely got a better a better skill set, but from a results standpoint, it hasn't been dramatically better yet. I yeah, think I mean, he's I think he's going to be better than Luke Shen, but I'm just saying that you end up with that where you sign a guy, a young defenseman to it, to a long-term deal, long-term lucrative deal, thinking this is going to be such a bargain, we're taking this risk, but we trust in the player, and then three years down the line you find out, eh, he's actually not that good. I mean, even at, like what's not like if he's a fourth defenseman, that's still a fine price tag. Maybe he's a little overpaid, but you have I I just think it's I think it's more than fair from Arizona's standpoint, and as far as his results have been, I get it, but it's not like, I mean, it's freaking Arizona. I, I, I would venture to guess nobody's had good results there. 
Not really. <laughs> yeah, to a degree, but I, I think even relative to his teammates, the results haven't been great. They haven't been bad. They just haven't been great. And you know, you say, well, it's not a bad price for a four, and you're not wrong. But to play devil's advocate here, you shouldn't really compare it to what you pay a four on the open market. These are the years where you get a guy like Jacob Chikrin for cheap. And basically what Arizona has done is they've decided that we're not going to get him for cheap because we think that we might, if we wait on this, we might have to pay him a lot more. So we're going to, we're going to sacrifice the cheap years. Like look at what the Flyers, not to compare these two guys from a talent standpoint, but look at what the Flyers are doing with Robert Haig. Okay. Robert Haig right now, you know, they signed him to, to the, to the short term deal. That's not paying him a lot of money. If they wanted to lock him up to a longer term deal and say, Hey, you're part of our core. He probably would have gotten a deal, you know, five years, $4 million a year, something like that. And the only reason why you give him a deal like that to be a, a four or five is because you think that there's a chance he could be more than that. Obviously the flyers don't think there's a great chance. He's going to be more than that. So they're fine going short term and banking the savings in his, in his young years with Chikrin. It's a different story. My point is, is that if Chikrin doesn't become that guy, then you wasted three or four years where you could have got him on the cheap because you were worried that he might break out and then he never did. I yeah. Feel you. I feel you. Uh, let's just get to this playoff expansion thing real quick. It's, this isn't like a proposal. There's no one really. doesn't seem like it has a ton of, um, doesn't seem like it has a ton of backing in the league, but it's interesting to think about. Uh, right at the start of 31 Thoughts, Friedman outlines uh, this expanded playoff idea, and Kelly believes it to seem fun. It does uh, seem fun. Uh, I, the idea is the top three seeds in, in each division uh, get a bye through a new play-in round, uh, and the next four teams would meet in a one-versus-four, two-versus-three setup. Uh, the winners of those two setups move on, and they give the example, if this had been in place for 2017-18, in the East we would have had Columbus versus Carolina and New Jersey versus Florida, and in the West we would have had Los Angeles, Dallas, and Colorado, St. Louis. Um, I don't hate it. It's interesting because those wild cards are kind of ridiculous and everyone's, like when you look at the loser points and some teams have more wins and they're not getting in over teams with fewer wins and stuff like that. But, man, I just don't think we need a longer season. Uh, yeah, I mean, the longer season would be a drag a little bit. But, and, and I would rather we just went back to, you know, one plays eight, two plays seven, etc. That would be my preference. But, yes. I kind of like this better than what we're doing now. I think it would you might end up with more exciting rounds further along. Whereas now it seems like we're getting all the good stuff in the first round and then it's over. And then you just kind of have either predictable results in the later rounds or not a great team playing a really good team, so it's not a particularly exciting series. I don't know. Something different would be good, in my opinion. So you know why I kind of hate this? Why, Charles? And it go it comes back to my I think it's just not bitterness, but like I hate the fact that 
bad general managers and bad coaches can keep their jobs because they made the playoffs. Yep. And I don't want to make yeah, it easier fair. for them to make the playoffs because it just this whole thing just strikes me as a way for GMs and coaches, particularly GMs, to sell to their ownership that, well, no, actually this year was a success because we made the playoffs. And it's just them trying to trying to help their own job security by increasing the amount of teams that get in. Like, no. If anything, because I one thing I am sympathetic to about this idea is I do believe that the teams that finish higher up in the standings should get more of a benefit for doing so. Like if you could find a way to to make to incentivize teams to try to get the most points in a conference or win their divisions more, I would love that. I want I want it to be harder for those teams to lose because I think they should, they deserve a bigger reward than just having to play in a, a best of seven series in the first round. Like one idea I've sort of bounced around in my head, which I, I doubt they would ever do. I don't think they would ever even consider this, but I, I bounced around the idea of saying that if you are, uh, if you won your division in the first round, you only need to win three games in that series to advance. The other team oh, so has to win. Five? The other team has to win four, but once once you win your third game, the series is over. That's wild, Charlie. Basically to say that, hey, you know what? You earned the right to have an easier first round series. And if you get for you to get upset in the first round, the team trying to upset you has to go above and beyond what you have to do. Hmm. That's interesting. That is interesting. I don't know if I love it, but it's definitely interesting. Uh, yeah. And if you're not in love with this proposal, uh, the, the play in round and everything, it's not happening anytime soon. Uh, Gary Bettman was on Elliot Friedman's podcast, and he uh, hates it. Uh, he's very much against it. And one of the things he actually said was, our first round is really good. And That's I agree, true. the first round of the NHL playoffs is excellent. And he says, why, where, like now all of a sudden, we'll be diluting that product because one of the teams will have just come out of a, you know, grueling, say, best of three series. Uh, and they'll be more worn down, and suddenly the first round of the Stanley Cup playoffs that, you know, an actual good team is in, not four borderline teams, it's not going to be as good. And I do love that. I mean, there's nothing better than that first shift of the first round. My God. It is I, fun, I, I absolutely love that stuff, and I wouldn't want to water that down. Um, so I'm not in love with this, but I do kind of, like, one versus eight is just the, I don't, I don't understand this setup at all. Uh, Agreed. Agreed. I, 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 I liked it at first because right away I was like, oh, man, the first round is awesome. And then I was like, oh, yeah. Ottawa's in the Eastern Conference final, huh? Yeah, eh. not great. I'm not, I'm not necessarily for this. Um, I don't know. So it's – I don't think it's the be- – uh, there can be something done. I don't think this is it. Yeah, and um, honestly, I – my little jokey thought when I was reading this was like, this is just Elliot Friedman's idea. And he's like, Hey, I've heard a lot of people talking about this crazy idea. <laughs> it's like just something that he made up like while he was on the toilet one morning. <laughs> all right, guys, is, uh, is that all we got? Oh, Kelly, how disappointed were you about Joe Thornton's 400th goal? I mean, I was bummed that it didn't happen here, but I also, I mean, I, he can't retire until he scores four. So, He's got a ways to go. He's got some he work scored, to do. He scored 400 and did not pull out his penis to celebrate. That wasn't, so I guess... that wasn't the agreement, so I'm okay with it. Yeah, but, you know, 400, That's a, he's never going to score four. He might. You don't know. 
He doesn't shoot. Yeah, he's actually been shooting more lately. He's I guess... been passing to the net. I forget who said yeah. that, but it makes me laugh every time. <laughs> uh, also, I totally missed this. Pekka Rene signed a contract extension. I missed that too. I didn't get. I I, I I I picked up on it because I wanted the Flyers to possibly get him in the offseason. Same. If he, uh, if, if he didn't uh, if he didn't resign, but I knew he was probably going to resign. So when I saw it, I was like, ah, oh, that sucks. Yeah. Uh, $5 million cap hit for a two-year extension. He signed it on November 3rd. They gave UC Soros that real uh, that real cheap extension, like one and a half mil, so they could overspend on their veteran goalie, and I guess they did a little. Uh, I, I would have still... given, given Rene that deal in a second. It's oh, the, yeah. It's the perfect, perfect term. Couldn't get better. term for Kelly. <laughs> the Pecorine-Carter-Hart uh, goalie tandem was kind of my dream. Uh, for the next two years at five mil, I would it's take dead that. Boys. Uh, but he's he's resigned in uh he resigned almost two freaking weeks ago in uh in Nashville, so that dream is dead. All right, that is all the time I guess we have for you this week. Thanks for listening. Be sure to subscribe to Broad Street Hockey iTunes, Sa- uh, not SoundCloud. We're not on SoundCloud, so forget I said that. iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, all the places podcasts are. Of course, broadstreethockey.com slash radio. Uh, my name is Bill Matz. For Kelly, for Charlie, have a great week, everybody. Hi, this is Jim. And this is Max. Check out our podcast, The Step Over, Liberty Ballers Podcast Network, for all of your Sixers' needs. Player analysis, game breakdowns, who would look coolest in a headband, and more. Subscribe to Liberty Ballers Podcast feed on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts, and check out The Step Over, a podcast about Sixers basketball. Mostly.